0: Well, go ahead, you can start by just turning in your Bibles, just have it to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. That'll be one of the places we'll look at, as you know, we're using the slides, so a lot of those, you know, a lot of things we already put on the slide. But we, we began last week with an introduction to the Bible, and we realized that God has given us a written revelation so that we can understand it, we can apply it, and we can pass it on. We talked about revelation, God making Himself known, inspiration, God making Himself known, a written form, illumination, Holy Spirit illuminating scripture. Scripture, uh, you know, the... the all those ideas of how it fits and and all those things that we talked about over these la- last week and, and this time in this lesson we're we're gonna we're gonna begin to look. Let me move past this. Let's say. In this lesson, we're looking at the overview of the Old Testament and New Testament. And when we look at overview. Uh, I want you to begin. This lesson gives that overview. And we begin with the, the Bible as a whole. The Bible is made up of everybody knows. Well, I say everybody. We live in a culture now that I don't really know the Bible. But most of us probably in this room know that the Bible is 66 six books, 39 in the Old Testament, and 27 in the New Testament. And it's written by all kinds of people. There were kings like David, and fishermen, and prophets. And, and we said that if you're going to put the Bible together, we would say it is is the story of reconciliation, perfect God bringing sinful man to himself using his son, Jesus Christ. That's how we would look at it. When you think about the Bible, let's just think about the, and sort of an overview of the Old Testament. That's how we'll we'll, we'll begin by looking at overview. The, the, the Old Testament uh, has, has 39 books, and it begins, basically, if you, if you take the Old Testament, you say, gosh, it begins with the creation, and, and Adam and Eve, and the garden, and the fall, and it takes you up through history, and it takes you through the nation of Israel and being chosen as a people group and then uh, what they did and then going into captivity and then coming back out and the kings and and it goes all the way from the beginning all the way to basically about 400 years before Jesus was born. So that's the Old Testament and it uh, starts basically written wise, Moses wrote it at about 1444 B.C., you could say 1500 B.C. that it was actually written down. So think about it, Adam and Eve and Noah and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Judah, Judah and uh, uh, Moses, and, and coming out of the, the at Moses was the first time they had a written Bible. Think about that. So God appeared and did things and all this, but this is the first time they've had a written Bible. So when you think about the Bible, the Old Testament was written basically in Hebrew, almost all Hebrew, and in some parts Aramaic. Aramaic is very similar to Hebrew in some things. In fact, sometimes you look at Aramaic and it almost looks like Hebrew. So the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. There's a few places in the book of Daniel that are Aramaic and and some others. And so that's what the Old Testament was. Now then here I just want to give you sort of an idea that the Old Testament was also translated into. Greek called the Septuagint. Now, I want you to understand something: that as time went by, and Greek became the language of the world, a lot of people began to know Greek and not know Hebrew as much anymore. The Jews were talking about, it. so they said, "Let's let's get and set and take." The Old Testament, and let's put it into Greek, and it was named the Septuagint, which actually means 70, because tradition says 70 Jewish scholars took the Old Testament from Hebrew and put it into the Greek language. Now, I've got a copy of the Septuagint. All the Septuagint is is just the Old Testament in the Greek language. And it's pretty interesting when you look at it. Let me just throw something out. There's a part that says, the virgin shall conceive and bring forth a child, Isaiah 7.14. And a lot of people, some people look at that and they say, well, all that means is a young woman. Because the Hebrew word for virgin is Alma. Uh, and so some people say that just means a young woman, so it doesn't mean anything special. But in the translation in the Greek, it's, they put that word Parthenos the Greek word, was transla- Alma was translated "parthenos," which actually means virgin. So the writers of the New Testament, of, of putting the Septuagint into Greek, they assumed that the word virgin there meant someone who'd never had sexual relations, not just a young girl. So sometimes when you see things like that, it kind of gets a little bit exciting. Then later on, in 382 A.D., a man by the name of Jerome, it's called St. Jerome, but he translated the Bible into Latin and that was from the Greek, and it was called the Vulgate. Now, does anybody know what Vulgate means? It means common. It actually means the word vulgar. Now, when we say the word vulgar, we think it means something like nasty. Oh, that's vulgar. But vulgar just meant common. And so in certain times, if you said that's vulgar, that means you're just a common person. Well, what they did is uh, they took the, the Bible and put it into Latin, which was the common language of all the people. So they wanted to make sure people could understand it. And by the way... I just want you to understand about Greek, too. The New Testament, there's, there's what we call modern Greek, there's classical Greek, and there's a thing called Koine Greek. Koine Greek means common. The New Testament was written in common Greek, not classical Greek, but common Greek, so that the average person could read it. And so when the Vulgate came out, it meant vulgar because it meant common. It meant saying that the Bible's still going to be in the language of the common people. That's that's the key to the whole thing. We're thinking about, and, and by the way, when you think about Bibles, you know, I, you have this idea that, that suddenly there's a there's a Hebrew Bible and there's a Greek Bible and then there's a Latin Bible. Well, wh- when did you, when did you get something else? When did it get into English? I've had people say that the only Bible that's every actual, that's very ac- accurate and the only one that really counts is the King James Bible. And I said, well, that's English. How many other Bibles in other languages? They don't count. What about a, a Santa Biblia? Is a Santa Biblia okay? Since it's a Spanish Bible, you know. So when a person says to you, the only Bible that counts is a King James Bible, you I said, you mean in English? What about Spanish? What about Greek? What about Hebrew? What I mean, I, you know, when you, you get, get kind of crazy. Um, listen to this. A guy by the name of Wycliffe put the Bible together in 1380. A guy named Tyndale put the Bible together 1526. Uh, A guy named Erasmus put the King James Bible together in 1611. The American Standard Bible was written in English in the United States in 1901. In 1960, the New American Standard Bible, which is, of course, the only one that's accurate or anything, but, and then, and then you, you got in 19, I think it was 1973, the NIV came out, and now you have things like the ESV, you have the uh, the What is it? The New Living Translation. By the way, let me throw something out. NIV is good. ESV is good. New American Standard is good. The New King James is good. Uh, the, the Net Bible is something that was put out by Dallas Seminary. It's really good. Uh, the the NLT, the New Living Translation, is great for reading. It is not good for studying. It is not really accurate. They take the word repent, which is nail, which means change your mind. And every time they see the word repent, they translate it, turn from sin. That's not what it says at all. So there are people who are reading the NLT, and it'll say, and Jesus said, turn from sin, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He didn't say turn from sin, the kingdom is at hand. He said, repent, which is change your mind. So be careful when, I mean, there are a lot of translations out there. And, and you know, like I said, the NIV, the New American Standard, the ESV, um, those the the, the net Bible. There, there's some, there's some, there's some good ones out there. Um, but uh, and all of them vary a little bit because you got to remember an English Bible. is some. It was taken by some scholars, and they went back to the Greek and the Hebrew, and they then took the Greek and the Hebrew and they put it into English. That's what they did. So there's going to be some variation. Some of the scholars who did the NIV, uh, one of my professors at Dallas Seminary did the Old Testament NIV. The NIV is really accurate in the Old Testament, but it's not that great in the New Testament. And uh, I like the New American Standard the best of all because when I go, I, when I study, uh, especially of course, New Testament, I use what they call the UBS 3, it's called UBS 3 or UBS 4 text. And the New American Standard was based off that. So when I'm studying in the original language Greek, it matches really well this English Bible. And, and that's why I, I really like it. But if you've got an NIV or a New American Standard or something else like that, that you're fine. They're all, they're all good. When you think about the Bible and the central theme, the central theme of the Bible, uh, of Old Testament I'm sorry, we're still thinking Old Testament. Old Testament central theme is the promise of the Messiah the Redeemer. Think about that and, and, and here's the Old Testament and the Old Testament is looking forward to the Messiah. And so the promise begins in Genesis three fifteen. the seed of woman's going to crush the head of the serpent and of course we know and we just got through looking at how it narrowed it down. The seed of woman to the seed of Abraham to the son of David to the son of Mary to the Lamb of God. And so that's, that's sort of how it fits. And so the Old Testament's really looking at that. That's why when people say, oh, the Bible is so complex and so big, how can you know it? I say, well, how do you know it? It's the perfect God bringing a sinful man because you go all the way back to the beginning with the fall and the whole Bible is telling about this Messiah who is coming to crush the head of the serpent, to be the seed of Abraham, to be the son of David, to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, to be the one born of the virgin. That's, that's what the Bible is. So the Old Testament is looking forward to the coming of the Messiah. And, and so the seed of the woman and the preparation for the Redeemer. So that's that's the kind of the key. The 39 books were written uh, by really over 30 authors and over a period of about a thousand years. So once you think about that, Old Testament, and I'm going to write this. Now, it took about a thousand years, started about 1444 BC and ended about 400 years before for Christ. So that, there's about a thousand years that the Old Testament was put together. Uh, all those writers, all those different people, and I mean, some of the books. I mean, when you look at it, you got you got Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That was written by Moses. Then you got Joshua and Those, and and sometimes we think Joshua might have written some of this. And you got First and Second Samuel, and you go, who wrote that? And some people say we don't really know who wrote it. And First and Second Kings, and so you start going through it. It's really some incredible things. And so when you think about when you think about the Hebrew canon, this is the Hebrew Bible. And when you think about it, it's divided into the three parts. Okay, It's the law, the prophets, and the writings. That's how the Hebrew Bible was put together. So write that down. And as I, I didn't say this a while ago, but if you've got a question, stop me, or input, or you want to say something, that's fine. Uh, because we're just, I'm just going to be teaching through this. And if you've got any kind of questions or input, please stop me and we'll look at it. So the Hebrew Bible... And it's called the Tanakh. I'll show you that in just a minute. But the Hebrew Bible. I happen to have. I think I have two. I have a Hebrew Bible, which is actually the Bible in Hebrew completely. Then I have a Hebrew Bible, which has, which is sort of like English Hebrew together. And uh, and and of course they're divided a little bit differently. It's divided the Law, the Prophets, and the Writings. When you get to, at the end of Lesson 5, I think it is, I have a whole bunch of handouts. And don't even think about looking there now or anything. But in those handouts, it shows you how the Hebrew Bible was broken up, how the English Bible was broken up, even how the Catholic Bible was broken up. It gives you more information, really, than you can use. I mean, so I just wanted you to have it. One of the things that the purpose of this study and the purpose of the 2-2 is to take what you've been taught and entrust these to what? faithful people. So the more information you have, this is a resource. So when you take this two-two book, keep it. And because not only just are there answers and things of each lesson, but there's all kind of handouts in there. There's all kind of information in there that you could use to teach other people or to just help yourself. I've got one whole little section on the dispensations, which is great. And then I've got a section on What happened in between the Old Testament and the New Testament or what happened in between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning where John the Baptist begins. There's four, they call it the 400 silent years. There's a handout in there which is like 10 or 12 pages that gives you the history that happened in between the Testaments and all of the background as you get ready to move into the New Testament. So there's some really good material in there. And don't look at it now, of course, but we'll, we'll, we'll get it for you. So when you think about the Hebrew, the Hebrew is called the Tanakh. And why it's called the Tanakh is that it's the Torah, the Nebim, and the Ketu. The Torah is the writings, the Nibin is the prophets, and the Ketubim. These are Hebrew words, of course. Torah means law, Nibim means prophets, ketubim means writings, and so that they take the T, the N, and the K, and that becomes Tanakh. So if you're talking to a Jewish person, don't say Old Testament because they don't think there's a New Testament. I mean, so if you talk to them, say, as the Tanakh tells us, and so that's just, just for you to, to, to look at that, just sort of fun to think through it. The, uh, new, when you think about the English Bible, our Old Testament is divided into four parts. First of all, there's the law or sometimes called the Pentateuch. Pentateuch has an idea of five because the first five books is called the law, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. So that's the Old Testament and that's the first section, the first five books. Then the next section is called the history. If you remember, beginning with Joshua and Judges and Ruth and 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles and Ezra, and Nehemiah. That's a history section and I love it and after we get through with Matthew the plan is to do 1st and 2nd Samuel First and Second Samuel gives us the beginning. Samuel is the last of the judges. It gives you the first king, Saul. It gives you the next king, David. And it takes us right on up into Solomon. I love studying that. And I think on Sunday morning we're going to have a lot of fun. I mean, I love Matthew. And we still got a ways to go because we're just about, he's just about to go to the cross. But there's some good things in there. And, and then we'll start First Samuel. So there's a lot there. That's the history section. And then there's a section which is called the poetry of writings. And, of course, that's the Psalms and Psalms, and Proverbs, and Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon, uh, and the Book of Job. Those are called writings, and poetry, and sometimes they're even called wisdom literature. Those parts of those are. And so that's the third section. This is how we break up our Bible. And then we break up our Bible, we'll call it the prophet section. And we have two parts, major prophets and minor prophets. The major prophets are Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel. And then of course, uh, Jeremiah wrote Lamentation; those books. And then the minor prophets are the 12 prophets. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah. Those, those are the 12 minor prophets. Now, when somebody says major and minor, it doesn't mean importance. Major, they called them that because of the length. Like Isaiah has 66 chapters. Some of the minor prophets have one chapter, two chapters. So they just called them major and minor based on length. And uh, so uh, that's how we break our Bible up. The Old Testament looks forward to the coming of the Messiah. There is that progressive revelation that we talked about. Remember, when we say progressive revelation, we don't mean that God said something over here and then He changed it over here. Progressive revelation means He continues to add information just like seed of woman was the seed of woman was going to be the one who crushed the head of the serpent could have been any woman and then it's going to be the seed of Abraham that seed of Abraham is going to to be the one in which all of the nations of the world would be blessed so it's narrowed down then it would be the son of David that's narrowed it all the way down from not just any Jew but to a Jew who is a descendant of King David and then we got all the way down to to the son of Mary a particular virgin is going to produce a child who is the greater son of David so it's Narrowed it way down. And then, of course, after he's born, John the Baptist calls him the Lamb of God. So the Bible is progressive revelation. There are things, what's amazing, as you read the Bible, and if you read it a lot, you'll find that you're reading something here, and then you'll remember something you read over here, and it matches, and you say, gosh, the Bible fits together. And let me tell you, I've, I've heard people, that you've all heard about people who went off to seminary and so-called lost their faith, meaning they, they go to seminary, and then they come back saying, I don't believe the Bible anymore. They go to the wrong seminary. That's the problem. When I went to Dallas Seminary, And I actually got to study, I have, I think I've had seven semesters of Greek and four, four and a half semesters of Hebrew. And the deeper I got into the Scripture, the more I saw that it was the perfect Word of God. And so you don't ever have to doubt it. Listen, it is perfect, and we have the Bible. We have over, we have over 5,000 Greek manuscripts just of the New Testament. I mean, it's just so you don't have to say, well, I don't know if we got the Bible. I mean, yeah, we got the Bible, and it's perfect, so don't even worry about that. So, the, our Old Testament the law, history, writings, and the prophets. And uh, so, some great stuff. Now, why is the Old Testament important? And I was just saying that there are people today that say that we don't really need the Old Testament, that since we're believers in the church, and the letters are written to the church, that we just need to really emphasize the New Testament and not the Old Testament. But if you look at this, what is 1 Corinthians 10, 11? I told you to turn there, but I've got it right here. He's talking about the things that happened in the Old Testament. It says, now these things happened, the things in the Old Testament, to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction upon whom the end of the ages have come. Look, the Old Testament's written for us too. And, 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 and that, that doesn't mean we're under the Mosaic law. We're never under the Mosaic law. When people say to you, you you're under the Ten Commandments, well, you're under nine of the Ten Commandments which are restated restate in the New Testament, but you're not under the Mosaic law. You never have been under the Mosaic law. And so when we start looking at this, so the Bible tells us that the Old Testament was written for our instructions. The Old Testament is the foundation of the New Testament. In fact, it is written for our instructions. So from there, let's look at the New Testament. And the New Testament focuses on the fulfillment of the promise of the Messiah. Just like the Old Testament was looking forward, the New Testament is going to basically look back and tell us about the Messiah, Jesus, the the seed of woman, the seed of Abraham, the son of David, the son of Mary, the lamb of God and so the New Testament is going to focus on the fulfillment I mentioned one Sunday morning there are 300 prophecies in the Old Testament especially dealing with Jesus that are fulfilled there are so many fulfilled in his first coming and guess what, there's a whole bunch of prophecies dealing with the second coming of Jesus Christ let me ask you this was every prophecy dealing with the first coming of Christ fulfilled, were they? yes, do you think every prophecy dealing with the second coming of Jesus Christ will be fulfilled the answer is yes it will Every one of them. Every one of them. And by the way, when you look in the Old Testament, the Old Testament talks about the first coming of Christ to die and the second coming of Christ to reign. There is no mention in the Old Testament about the rapture because the church is a mystery. It's not there. And we'll get to that some other time. And so when you read in the Old Testament and it talks about something about coming in, and, and coming in glory, and all, it's always talking about the second coming. There's no rapture in the Old Testament because the church was a mystery and the church is what's raptured out. Just to Just to throw that out. Let's think about the New Testament for a second. There are 27 books, of course, with nine offers, written over about 50 years. And the first book written was James. Do you realize that? A lot of people think that they're in order, like Matthew was first, and then Mark, and then Luke and John. No, they weren't. The book, first book written was the book of James in about 45 A.D. And look at this. The last book written was the book of Revelation about 95. How How long is that? 50 years, look at this, it took a thousand years to put the Old Testament together, it took 50 years to put the New Testament together. So those books, those 27 books came about in that, in that way. The, our New Testament can be divided, did y'all get that, I, I may have gone too fast, let me, let me throw it back there, you've got that I'm sure. Okay, our New Testament is divided into the three big divisions, they are history, epistles and prophecy. Okay, epistles. The history, of course, is the. A lot of people say gospels, but then they leave out Acts. And they say Acts is an epistle. Acts is not an epistle. Acts is a history book. The gospel are history books. So the history books are the gospel and Acts. The epistles are basically Romans through Jude which is Paul's letters and the other letters. And then the prophecy is the book of Revelation. So just for a second and I, since, since we got stopped for a little bit I won't go quite into the detail that I normally go on this. But I want you to think about the, the New Testament for a second. And let's talk about for just a second the history books. What are the history Books. Let's do this. Let's just erase this for a second and so the history books. What are the history books? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. You understand? As as every Sunday morning, I st- I stand up and I say, uh, turning your Bibles to Matthew, chapter something. The gospel, uh, Matthew presents Jesus as the king of the Jews, and so. Matthew's written to show Jesus is the king. Mark is written to show that he's a servant. Luke is written to show that he was a man. John was written to show that he is God. Acts is the history, the first 30 years of the church. This is, this is it. And so when you read the Gospel of Matthew, he's born king of the Jews. He lives king of the Jews. He dies as king of the Jews. If you read the Gospel of Mark, there's no background whatsoever because a servant doesn't need a background. We'll touch more on this later in more details. But you can just here he comes and then here's Luke where do you find? Where do you find the Christmas story? Where do you find the birth of Christ? Where do you find him as twelve years old? Where do you find him as a little boy? Where do you find him growing up? It's Luke, and then where do you find him as the Word became flesh and dwelt among us? And so, yeah, this is great. So it's great to understand that my goal that I that I would for all of you, and that's why I've given all this information, is that you'd be able to say Matthew is about this, Mark's about this, Luke's about this, John's about this, Acts is about this, Romans is about this, Galatians is about this, Ephesians first and second. Uh, uh, Corinthians about these two things I, w- I would love for you to be able to do that when you think about the epistles you've got Paul's letters let me show you something just to help you and I'm not I'm not wanting you to write any of this down okay but when you think about it Paul wrote what we call journey letters and he wrote prison letters and he wrote pastoral letters and on his journey he had on three missionary journeys but I want to show you something one, two, three, three. First missionary journey, he wrote one book, Galatians. on second journey, he wrote first two books, first and second Thessalonians. on his third journey, how many books you think he might have written? Three, first and second Corinthians and and, and Romans. And then when he went to prison, how many books you think he might have written? Four <laughs> And then, of course, his pastoral pistols, first and second Timothy and uh, Titus. And so th- th- there's ways to remember how they wrote, what they did, and, and so that you can say, well, I, I know this, when Paul on that first missionary journey, he went and he wrote to the Galatians, and on the second missionary journey, he came and he wrote back to first and second, You know, there's just little things to, to remember that, and there, there's so much there. And then, then we get to the prophecy, oh my, most people want to study Revelation, but at the same time, they're afraid to study Revelation, because they don't think they can know it. And there is a lot of what they call apocalyptic literature in there, which means it's an unveiling type literature. It means it's unique. I mean, it'll say even, Jesus came and He opened His mouth and a sword came out of His mouth. And and whether an actual sword's going to come out of His mouth when He comes, I don't know. But, you know, who knows? And it it has all kinds of different things in the book of Revelation. But it's not that hard. I mean... Chapters 1, 2, and 3 to the churches, 4 and 5 up into heaven, 6 through 19, the tribulation, 19 and 20, the second coming in the kingdom, twenty and 21 and 22, the eternal state. There's the book of Revelation. It, it fits together. Now there's a lot, a lot more to it than that, but anyway, just wanted you to see that. And so it is vital that we, we, we study the Bible, that we know it is vital, that we understand the Word of God. So let me throw something out to you. And this is, I think you're at the top of page three. The Word of God is vital, so we must what? Number one, the first thing is 2 Timothy 2.15, which means to study the Word of God. It actually says, be diligent to study yourself approved to God as a workman who is not being ashamed. Notice the verse carefully. Okay. Study to show yourself approved to, to God. You're not studying to be approved to somebody else, to say to somebody else, I, I know the Bible, I'm studying the Bible so I can tell you all what I know. You study to be approved to who? To God, because you're studying the Bible to know Him, to know truths, to know facts. As I, as I brought out last week, if you remember, that there, there are things that you need to know. There are facts, there's books, there's timeline, there's history. Let me ask you a question. Who was the first king of Israel? Solomon. Who's second? David. Third. Solomon. Solomon. Fourth. Re-aborn. That's exactly right. How many times was water parted? Okay, let's think about it. When, when they came out of Egypt, when they crossed into the promised land, okay, when Elijah hit the thing with his coat and it parted, is there any more? But Elisha came back and did what? He did the exact same thing and parted it. I used to always tell people there are four places. There are actually five. Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning when God, God took and parted the waters above and below. So just little things that, I mean, the Bible is so fun. So we need to study it. The second thing we need to do is to memorize it. Psalm 119.11 says, "That word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. One of the reasons to memorize the Bible is so that you can put it in your brain and so that when you're tempted or there's times, you know, you, you can go back to the Word of God and you can stand strong on the Word of God. That's why, listen, it is so important that at every lesson, there are going to be verses to memorize. Now, I've had people take the class, and uh, they don't do any memorization. They'll answer every other thing, but they'll say, well, I, I just don't have time to memorize verses. And so they don't answer the last question. Because the last question on every test is going to be, write out the following verses. I'm never going to ask people to stand up and do a verse publicly or anything like that. That's, you know, but, I, but on that thing, it just says, write it out. It's amazing what happens when you put the Bible in your brain. Listen, I can be talking on Sunday morning and think of a verse and I don't have to say, well, you know, over here it says something like this. I can say, study, show yourself approved of God. A workman need not be ashamed." handling accurately the Word of God. I don't have to go look it up. I know it. I know it. And you need to know it. And see, what's going to happen at the end of this course when each of those verses at the end, what if you keep up and you memorize those verses all the way through? You're going to know 50 or 60 verses. Easy. Right? Think about that. Wow, so exciting. Memorize the Word of God. The third thing is Philippians is to apply it. Uh, The thing that Paul writes and says, the things you've heard from me and, and seen, practice these things. I want to read something to you from Hebrews. Hebrews Hebrews, tough book. I love it. It's got a lot of good stuff in it. Listen to this. It says, Solid food is for the mature. And who's the mature? Who have... Because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. And it's talking about practice—is applying the Bible. Do you remember what Ezra said? Ezra purposes in heart, he would study the law of the Lord and to practice it. It is so important that we apply the Word. I told you that Prof. Hendricks would always start off and say, what is the goal of the study of the Word? And everybody would say, "To, to know it. And he'd say, wrong. The goal of the study of the Word of God is to know it so you can apply it knowledge does what puffs up you you can know the whole bible and be an arrogant jerk that's what you can be and yeah. run everybody off and you know the whole bible and so what we want to do is study it dig it get it put it together know what it says and then put it in our brains and then live it out and then last but not least take what we've been taught and teach others take And I love it because it says, entrust to faithful people. Let let me remind you of something we saw last time. And see, here's one of the goals for this class. is not that you would take the class and say, I took the class. It is that you would take what you've been taught and you would pass it on to somebody else. Paul says to Timothy, take what I taught you, Timothy, and entrust it to faithful. Now, this is the key word. Faithful people who will be able to teach others. Faithful. What I hope and pray is that every one of you in this room, somewhere down the line, take some of these the truths that are in this study and the truths that are in like the 412 and the truths that you're getting on Sunday morning and and that you're going to take those truths and you're going to pass them on to somebody else. And it'll have to be a faithful person because you can't pass them on to unfaithful people because they're never there you'll know really quickly who's faithful and who's not. You might say, hey, would you like to meet? Would you like to start going through something? And they'll say, oh, yeah, I'd love to. And you meet with them once, and then you maybe meet with them twice, and then the third time they don't show up. And you call them, and they say, I couldn't make it. And then you meet with them the fourth time, and then the fifth time they don't show up. And the sixth time, and pretty soon, they don't ever show up. And you can't teach them. You can't take what you know and pass it on. So it's got to be faithful people. I have a verse that I love, and... We always say, 2 Timothy 2, 2, take what you've been taught and trust these to faithful people. Here is Paul writing in Colossians. Just write this verse. Just, just, you don't have to write the verse for it. Just write the reference down. Listen to this right here. Paul is writing and he says, we proclaim him. He's talking about Christ. He says, we proclaim Christ, admonishing every person and teaching every person. Now listen, we proclaim Jesus and we admonish believers and we teach people so that we would present every person complete which is mature in Christ. Think about that. That we proclaim Jesus and our goal is to admonish which is to encourage is to teach every person so that they would be mature in Christ. Yes? It's Colossians 1.28 Yes? Colossians 1, 28. What a great, great verse. I mean, what are we supposed to do? This is, this is actually discipleship. We know we're to lead people to Christ. That's evangelism. And then we're to train them. And Paul says, take what you know, Timothy. Take what you know. And let's pass it to faithful people who will be able to teach others all, also. That's the goal. Keeping it going. Keeping it going. So with that in mind, let's talk about how did we get the Bible? Of course, that's to pass the word on, teach it and pass it on. The Old Testament and New Testament came as a progressive revelation by God over a period of time. And when we say canon, I'll talk more about what that that means in just a minute. But think about it there. The Old Testament, how do you think Noah knew about Adam and Eve? Some of them knew him. Did you know that, I mean, the years they lived, 900 and something years? You would be surprised. Go find one of those, get in your Bible and find one of those timeline books that show how long everybody lived and you would be surprised the people who actually knew Adam and Eve just from the years. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, think of the people that, and then you start looking at this. And so how did, how did Abraham know of what God had done in the past? How did he, when, when Moses, all those years later, when he got ready to write down the first five books, the creation, how did, did he already, had he ever heard of a creation story? Of course. Did he know about the flood? Of course. There were oral things passed down, revelation from God, making things known. And then finally it began in a written form. So it was passed down over a period of time. And it was a, a process. Think of the New Testament. They, they, they started out with Jesus dying and rising again and sitting in heaven. And there's 11 guys. And they pick another guy, but he's never mentioned what, anymore after that. Of course, the about eight of the 11 aren't ever mentioned any either. So when people say, well, that guy, that was a mad mistake. Well, we don't know. We don't know if it was a mistake or not. But these guys, they started telling them they started telling people what they knew about Christ. And the Holy Spirit brought back to their minds things and they began to write them down. And we've got the apostolic letters and then we've got the written accounts of what Christ did and we got the story of the early church and we got so all of it became together. Think about that. I mean, how did how did let me ask you a question? Was Matthew an apostle? Was he with, Was Matthew with Jesus? This is this not a trick question? Was Matthew with Jesus? Yeah, or he was Levi. Levi, Matthew, the tax collector, he's with Jesus, right? Was Mark with Jesus? Was Mark, ask him if Mark was with Jesus? <laughs> was Mark with Jesus? Actually, he wasn't, as far as we know. Now, he, we think that he was there the night Jesus got arrested and ran off, but he wasn't one of the 12. Was Luke with Jesus? No. How did they know stuff? How did, how did they write it down? We know that the uh, Holy Spirit inspired them to write down the Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts and all that. But how did they know all this? Because they were with people who knew him. And they got direct revelation from God. I mean, so we're seeing all this. So let's talk about, and I'll go quickly through this just because of time now. But let's talk about uh, the the canon, the canon of the scripture. And I've got, what does the the word canon mean? It, It actually means a ruler or a measuring stick. That sounds kind of weird, but the canon of the Scripture is the books that measured up. You might say it that way. These are the books that, 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 were, that measured, that fit. These are the books that were determined to be the Word of God. Now let me just say something about it. I'm saying it in a unique way. Men didn't sit down and say, uh, Matthew will be one, Mark will be one, Luke will be They already knew it. God let them know that when they got to the whole thing and put it together, it wasn't that men decided what the Bible was, they recognized what the Bible was. And I'll show you more about it in just a minute. So let's talk about, and I think if we go to the top of page four, let's talk about sort of um, the history and the flow of how the Bible came together. So we can break it up this way, from about 70 A.D. to 170. Anybody know what happened in, in 70 A.D.? That was a big event. Jerusalem was destroyed, yeah, basically. And uh then and, and uh the Romans came in there and in A.D. 70 destroyed that, destroyed the temple, destroyed everything. So I'm just starting here about from 70. Now there's still apostles alive. The best we know, we're not sure when Peter and and Paul died, probably in the 60s, but we know John, the the one who wrote the book of Revelation, and first, second, and third John, and the book of John and the Revelation, he probably lived up until he till year ninety-five. So, you have these, the, the, during this period, the collection of books which we would call the New Testament was put together. Now, let me understand something. The Old Testament was already put together. What was it called? The Tanakh, that was already together. when At the time of Jesus, there wasn't any doubt what books made up what we would call our Old Testament. It was already concluded. This was the Scripture. When Jesus would say, you study the Scripture because of something, they had the Tanakh, the Law, the Writings, and the Prophets. They were already there. So then these New Testament books begin to be put together. The letters of Paul and Peter and James and John and Matthew, Mark, Luke and John and the book of Acts and all that, they all begin to be written and put together. And so in this time period from about 70 A.D. to 170 A.D., they came together. And by the year 96, a man by the name of Clement of Rome, he was sort of one of the leading scholars of the day. He he lived, he, he knew John. In fact, he, was, he studied under John, who died in the year 95. He said that there's no devout, that the divine writings of God were from God. And at that time, there was a collection of the 27 books that we call our New Testament. So I want you to understand something. At the end of the very first century, What we call the Bible was exactly what they had. So, what was at the end of the first century was what we have now. So, don't worry and say, well, some years later they added another book or they changed. By the end of the first century, this is the Word of God and you have it in your hands. Okay? And so, Clement actually wrote and said, he actually listed all the books. In some of his writings, he lists the books to tell you what is the, what we'd call the New Testament. Okay, then after that, I hope you got that. Then from about 170 to 303 A.D., here's another big section. This time, men wrote, they were called the, the church fathers, but some of the books of the Bible came under fire. I mean, some questioned various books. Have you ever thought about that? History went by, and time went by. And, and by, by the way, I just want you to know, things are not pure. In the first century, when John died in 95, we would say everything was good. You get to 100, 110, 120, 130 church fathers. There were some people already teaching that you had to be baptized to be saved. In the the church fathers, they call them the church fathers, they're the people who wrote after the apostles. So there's always confusion, there's, you know, you have to, that's why you have to always go back to the Bible. Well, they begin to question some of the books. Look at some of the books. They question 2 Peter. You know why? Because Second Peter and Jude were, were very, very similar. And Second Peter was a short book. Jude was even shorter. And somebody said, that's a little beady book. And the writer of Hebrews, somebody said, who's the writer of Hebrews? Anybody know? Nobody knows who the writer of Hebrews is. So some people said, if you don't know who the writer is, how are we going to know it's from the Bible?" And then second and third John seemed like they were personal letters instead of, you, know, some Bible books or something. And then somebody said, well, this book of James, it, it's really screwed up because the author of James contradicts Paul in James chapter two. He doesn't, but some people thought that. And so there were issues, and people begin to say, "What books are correct?" What books should be in there? Should any books be taken out? And so what they did is, I've got the criteria, and what they begin to do, and I have to go fast, the criteria for the New Testament was four things. First of all, the books had to be apostolic. In other words, they had to be written by an apostle or someone closely related to an apostle. If they said, if we're going to consider this a book of the Bible, it has to be written by an apostle or somebody related to an apostle. That's why I said uh, that Luke was close with Paul, and Mark was close with Peter, and of course John and Matthew were with Jesus, and, you start, and Paul, of course, was with Jesus. And, and you start going down the thing. Jude was Jesus' half brother. Okay? I mean, so you start looking at these things. And of course, Peter was with Jesus and all of that. So the books had to be by apostolic, written by an apostle or someone closely related to an apostle. The churches had to perceive them as authentic. When they were originally written and passed around, the churches had to say, these books are accurate. And they did. And when Paul wrote to the Corinthians, you think the Corinthians didn't think those, that was the God's word from Paul? They knew it was. And so the books were, had to be seen as authentic. The third thing is it had to be the books had to be consistent with the Old Testament doctrine and teaching of the apostles that had to fit the rest of the Bible. There couldn't be something weird. And that's why you look at books like Bel and the Dragon and Judith and some of those other books. They're weird. They don't fit the Bible at all. And that's why you can look at some of the cult writings, some of the books, like Books of Mormon, and you read some of those things, and you go, this... This, this isn't scripture. And so it had to be consistent with Old Testament teaching. And the last thing is it had to have some internal and external evidence of inspiration. It had to talk who wrote the book, who was it written to, how does it fit. That The things in there match. And so those four things were the criteria that when they looked at it, they, they looked at how did it fit together. There is a book, by the way, let me just th- throw this out right now. There's a book. I have this book. It's out of print. This book actually was printed, I have it, in 1926. It is by a man by the name of W.H. Griffiths Thomas, a great scholar, and he wrote How We Got Our Bible. He actually, in this little book, takes you through how the Scripture came together and how some of the... Because I'm just touching on it in our class. I mean, I'm not going into the details. And how it came to be, church councils, all those kind of things. So it, you can... I don't know if I loan this one out because it's so valuable, but I think I have another one that's not 1926 that if one of you wants to come and check it out and read it, you can do that. Now, with that in mind, there were uh, four church councils, or, well, a number of church councils, and that takes you to the, the Old Testament, the, from 303 to 379 A.D. There were church councils. The churches met together, brought people together to talk about the scriptures. And I want you to understand that the councils had to deal with the issues and ratify the canon. In other words, saying, this is the scripture. Now remember, at the end of the first century, the Bible that people considered the Bible was exactly what we have today. Okay, And so the church councils, they came to recognize what God had already given. They're not deciding what the Bible is. I just want you to understand that. The church councils didn't come together and decide the Bible. They came and recognized what was Scripture. And there were four major church ca- So look at W.H. Griffith Thomas. This is the book. It says, the Bible is not an authorized collection of books, but it is a collection of authorized books, authorized by God. Four main councils, and you can just... Uh, the one, two, three, four, and I'm not going to go into detail in Laodicea 363, and you don't have to put everything down, but I just want you to remember this: when they met at Laodicea in 363, they decided every book in the Bible was accurate, except one. And when I say accurate, they said, "We know they all believe the, are in the Bible, but maybe one. You know what that one was? It was, huh?" It was. It was Revelation. Because they were confused. And they said, we don't know how this matches it. I mean it's kind of weird writing and everything. So they accepted every book except Revelation. Then there's one in Damascus in 382 A.D. And let me just tell you, they accepted every book. They said all of the books of what we call the Bible are exactly what God says. Then in 397 A.D., there was a place at Carthage, and they accepted every book as well. And then the last one was a place called Hippo. Hippo was in northern Africa, 419 AD. They accepted every book as well. There's also a council of Nicaea in 375 that accepted all the books. There was another council in Ephesus in 449. I'm just throwing those out. There were councils all the time, but I want you to understand that what you have in your hand is the Word of God, ratified, determined, accepted at the very beginning, and then ratified all through. And let me just say this, at, at, if you notice, you go to the top of the last page, I've got that the canon is closed, the Bible is closed. Why? Because the book of Jude says it's, it's given once for all, that there are no more apostles. Listen, where did we get, how did we get the Scripture? Who, who gave us the New Testament? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Paul, uh, you know, Peter... Uh, Jude, I mean, these these are apostles and are people who connected with apostles. This, there's nobody else getting new revelation. Now, there are people who think they're getting new revelation, but they're not, okay? And then I put here that the revelation, the book of Revelation, completes the information we need and God protects it. Do you remember what it says in the book of Revelation? Toward the end? It says, anybody that adds to or take away from this book. Okay? So, you have the completed revelation let me ask you something uh what's going to happen at the end Amen. i mean jesus is going to come back going to be a kingdom then it's going to be a judgment then there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth and then it's going to go on forever right do we need any other revelation no. i have to tell you this quick story we got time i had a friend i'm not going to tell you his name because he passed away but his wife's still alive but i had this friend that Uh, called me one day and said that he got direct revelation from God. It came through his stereo system. It was angels. And God told him he was going to write a new Bible. And we have the Old Testament and the New Testament and the new beginnings. He was supposed to write the new beginnings. And I talked to him and I said, where did you get this? And, And he kept telling me all this stuff. And I finally asked him, I said, okay, tell me what the new beginnings is going to be. And you know what it was? Number one, Jews are not God's people anymore salvation is not just by faith but also by works and there is more after the book of Revelation. I said to him, well first of all Jews are always going to be God's people. Number two, salvation is always by faith, not works and the book of Revelation ends it all. So whatever information you think you got it doesn't match the scripture. So be real careful. We got it all. We don't need anything else. In fact, let me tell you this. I bet God would say, if you master this thing right here, I'll give you something else. Okay? But we know where we are on this thing. So, let's think about our goal, and we know what it is, to know it, to apply it, and to pass it on. That's from Ezra chapter 7, verse 10. Our memory verse, are y'all okay on that? Y'all okay? Our memory verse is, so faith comes by hearing and what? Hearing by the word of Christ.